disciplined schedule is the cage you choose and an empty schedule is the cage other people choose for you right mm-hmm. they get to time block you they get to say hey what's your calendar saying i know you're <laughs> out. a lot of people think of discipline and going back to your point as like like a cage but really it's like you're choosing what you want to do with your time and you're doing that in a sound state of mind right you're saying hey this is who i want to become and i'm fully confident with that and i know the steps i need to get to that and this is how i want to do it rather than just like going day to day and like going with the flow and like being uh upon in somebody else's whimsical desires right and so mm-hmm. i think that's a really important distinction to make um yeah i'm glad we ended off with that because i think that's a really a really like succinct way to like tie in the conversation with stress like the physiological response the community-based method and then you know going back to yourself and like at the end of the day you have the most power over your own perception of the stress hello and welcome back to the next iteration podcast Today's episode is on stress. We're going to be talking a little bit about the physiological nature of stress and what causes stress, uh, and then sharing our personal experiences on how we kind of deal with stress, uh, where, where we've been most stressed in our lives, and strategies that we've come up with to kind of cope forward with it. Um, I think it comes at a really timely time. Um, as the days get shorter and as the weather gets a little colder, people tend to slide into you know a bit of seasonal stress and depression. Uh, it's midterm season for a lot of universities uh universities right now um so i think yeah it's a great time to talk about this and we're excited for the episode so stay tuned you are now listening to the next iteration podcast with your hosts fuad and damien if you like the episode follow us on spotify and give us a review on apple Podcasts. our website was built by face solutions logo designed by charmeni and music by wonderly music we hope you enjoy the episode all right welcome back young iterators so um this was i guess like a point of stress for us like you know trying to determine what what are we going to actually call our community and i think we settled on iterators right yes yeah, sir. yeah it's a good okay. name so let us know how you guys feel about that because honestly i personally feel like that's a pretty sick name like i would love to be known as an iterator so yeah. Yeah. we're all growing right we're all growing together we're all iterating one step closer to our best versions of ourselves and we're out here iterating in public you know? we are here iterating in public and one of the most important lessons we need to learn along that way in order to become the best version of ourselves is how do we deal with stress right we especially like along that journey if you're gonna if you're aiming to become the best version of yourself you will without a doubt be faced with moments of seemingly insurmountable stress and you're going to be knocked down a bunch of times so what do you do to get back, back, get back up in those moments? Right. So what, oh man, like, how should we start this? How are you feeling? I, I was going to start it with a, with a quote. With a quote? <laughs> we got some quotes. Yes, okay, okay, yeah. Go. I got, I got a couple. I know you have a couple too. So uh, the first quote is by Robert Elliott, a guy who literally wrote the book on stress. He is an MD and a bunch of other acronyms that I'm not going to like bother Googling, but uh, he was the director of Institute of Stress Medicine in Denver, Colorado, and a professor of cardiology there as well. Uh, and the quote is, rule number one is don't sweat the small stuff. Rule number two is it's all small stuff. And I think that's just like a great opener into the conversation because, um, you know, we'll, we'll discuss some of the physiological mechanistic things about stress and like why stress exists. But it's important to consider like the perception of stress is like one of the most, most important things. I'm um, actually, and recently there was a, a study out of the University of Wisconsin that uh, found that like people who interpret their stress as harmful to them 
actually like suffer way more from stress, even if like chemically speaking, they have the same level of cortisol and, and stress hormones as somebody else who doesn't interpret the stress as harmful. Right. So I think, you know, the, that self-perception and, and sort of that mind over matter thing is, is really, really important here. And yeah, I think that quote kind of encapsulated it really well. Yeah. And I think we should dive into that. And my, the quote I had actually kind of piggybacks off of what you said, and mm. it's a super simple one um, from, oh man, what's this guy's name? Dan, Dan Zabra, I think is his name. Uh, the quote is though, worry is a misuse of imagination. Right. And mm. uh, you know what? Mm. I think we, I think uh, it was in our conversation with Melanie, we started kind of touching on that idea, but yeah, we can tend to catastrophize just uh, when things go wrong in our lives, right? Like just small inconveniences, depending on the mind state that you have can seem like these mountains that you have to get over. Um, And for example, like how often do we build up this idea of how effortful it is going to be to get this task or chore or assignment done um, in our heads. And we keep putting it off, putting it off because we don't want to start it. We don't know where the hell to start. And the more you do that, the more of a mountain it starts to become. Mm-hmm. And eventually when you finally do start it, you realize like, damn, you know, I've been putting this off for a month and it took me an hour to do. And how often mm-hmm. do we do that in our lives? Right. And I, I know I'm, I'm implicit yeah. in that too. Um, mm-hmm. But let's talk about mindset when it comes to stress, because I think this is one of the most important perspectives to keep when you're talking about stress. Um Maybe I can open this up real quick with uh, something I pulled from Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meeting, which is an absolutely brilliant read. Such a good book. I'm, yeah. I'm so glad you read it. Yeah. I haven't finished yet. I'm still um, doing so. But mm-hmm. like, I guess quick synopsis, uh, Viktor Frankl was, um, was he a neuroscientist, I think? Uh, mm-hmm. And he's a Holocaust survivor. So an individual going through objectively the worst possible conditions a human can imagine. He was trying to figure out how can, like, you know, how do I make it through these moments? These moments where when you're looking at it from, you know, from our day to day, right. Our stressful moments are incomparable to what he was going through, but he did everything possible to make sure that he held some in his, in his own head, he held some control over his own situation And it's from this experience that the idea of there are no objectively bad events. There is only how we think about it. And, you know, it, it, it seems like he's, this dude is a psychopath to be able to, or a sociopath to be able to keep that mindset when people are just constantly dying around him, but he would do just tiny little things to maintain some sense of control over a situation. So for example, you know, you're forced to wear a uniform when you're, uh, when you're in this prison, right? And he would just do things like wearing his shirt inside out. Okay, so yeah, you know, I'm forced to wear this uniform, but I'm going to wear this uniform how I freaking feel like it. Mm. And it was these small things that helped him make it through small it. Small acts of defiance. Yeah, exactly. Those little tiny acts of defiance built him into this, this it helped him cultivate this sense of resilience and mental fortitude that helped him get through it. And for a lot of people who go through this, uh, I'm going to touch on this idea of post-traumatic stress, but uh, a little later, but for a lot of people who go through moments of trauma like this, they 
become so strong like nothing can get them down once they're over that right so i just want to let you just want to let you speak on that a little bit before i talk about some post-traumatic stress no 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 for sure Ancestral meeting is one of my favorite books i think like must read for any human being like it should be human being search for meaning honestly um and yeah i like, mean the book has a lot and we can go into it for like hours and hours and hours maybe we'll do a book review on it but um i think that mind over matter thing is like one of the most standout things to me and it sounds kind of wishy-washy sounds kind of unscientific but keep in mind this guy was like a premier psychiatrist you know neuroscientist mm-hmm. um did a lot of good work and like published a lot of like you know good studies um and he basically like used this whole experience as like an experiment in psychology um and it's crazy the way he describes like the conditions and stuff and particularly this like one clinic they had in in the concentration camp that he was in um where uh he was like responsible he was put in charge of taking care of other you know camp members uh who were like falling ill um and he said there was like always this one marker of like when you knew someone who was going to die from like sickness or something where you could see the light like leave their eyes and they just lost the will to live and like objectively speaking their situation hadn't worsened or their sickness hadn't progressed, but it was just the simple fact of the matter that they had lost their will to survive. Uh, and that willpower is so, so important. It's like a vital life force. Um, yeah, it sounds super wishy-washy, but like, if you don't want to be alive, your body will figure out a way to make sure you're not alive. You know what I mean? So yeah. Um, I think mindset ties into this really well. Um, and yeah, we, we can, we can definitely dive into that as well. Yeah. And it's so crazy how powerful your mind is when it comes to, downstream effects on your body when you look at all the different psychosomatic ailments that can come of that right mm-hmm. um that i think once you start to realize those downstream effects that's when people really start to take mental health seriously because if you're constantly inundated with stress all the time then you're going to start feeling it in your body um mm-hmm. and uh so i just want to give a quick shout out to one of the people i've been having a con- one of the people i've had a conversation with over the past month uh jay i'm I'm gonna leave your last name out just for you know privacy reasons but uh jay you know sent me this video recommendation uh it was a conversation with dr hate and can't remember the other guy's name but they were discussing this idea of post-traumatic growth right so most people know about Mm post-traumatic stress but what is post-traumatic growth it is essentially this experience where you undergo this experience of trauma but after you come out, come out on the other side of it, you become stronger for it, right? It's kind of like that idea of anti-fragility that um, Nassim Taleb touches on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the, the interesting part about post-traumatic growth is that there is a significant and fundamental mindset shift that these people experience when they pop out on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've been thinking about this a lot, like even like before this, but the idea of how so many people need to have this experience of like this near death experience in order for them to really start taking their lives seriously. Right. Like for example, the, the stoic idea of memento mori, but like, why the hell does that have to be? Like, what have we done as a society in order to be complicit in creating these conditions for individuals to just go through the motions of their lives and just do the things that we objectively deem as as milestones of success but for these people who have in, uh, experienced these post-traumatic growth events you know there's two interesting things that come out of it one is you get to figure out who your ride or dies are right if you're going through all of these moments of significant trauma 
a lot of people are going to start flaking on you. They don't want to be in your life for that. It's just too much work for them, too much effort to just constantly be there as a uh, resource for you. Most people only want to be there when times are good. So you'll, you'll figure out who those people are. Fair weather friends. Exactly. Those fair weather friends. And the second thing is following these moments, people tend to value career success less and things like human connection more, right? The things that genuinely make life worth living. And it's not to say that those are mutually exclusive things, right? A lot of people, maybe not a lot of people, but some people are able to find that career, that calling where they're able to be and live their passion day in and day out in what they're doing. But for a lot of people, unfortunately, that just isn't the case. So they start to remind themselves, okay, well, these are the reasons that life is worth living. It's because of my friends. It's because of these hobbies and passion projects that just light this fire inside of me. And mm-hmm. I, I just hate that it takes these near-death experiences for most people in these in this category to, there. to be able to learn yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. Um, I think the topic of friends is really important to stress too because we had this discussion. I think it was the episode we did on what were the zones? The the zones on Earth. There's like seven of them. Oh yeah. Them. Um, yeah. I forget. I, I'm I'm slipping on the word zones. Blue zones. Uh, blue zones. Yes, blue zones where you know people live like remarkably longer lives and happier lives and better quality lives with less disease and you know just like much better lives in general, right? And one of the key things about that was the sense of community. And how many like close friends did you have, right? From childhood all the way throughout your life, you know, how many social connections did you have and how deep were those social connections? Maybe not even like how many, but like how deep were they and how consistent were they? Um, And that's a huge aspect of stress, right? Like stress is a physiological thing, but um, it's just affected by so many different things and having that network of peers that can, you know, you can talk to and and, and work through that stress with is super, super important. Um, And yeah, I also think that like, a big thing is like people don't talk about when they're stressed. Like I'm, I'm really bad at this too. Like if I'm stressed, I shut down. Like I, I just like my, my social centers and like whatever in my brain just like don't work as well. And like mm-hmm. kind of just like get lost in the work and like just zone the fuck in. Like this summer I was pretty stressed and like, I, I didn't talk to anyone. Like I was, I was zoned the fuck into work and I didn't do shit. Um, and I think that's like, it's important to like be able to catch yourself and like have a few friends and like call you out on that. Mm-hmm. Like I got a text like one morning I was like, yo, like, I haven't heard from you in, like, months, like, what are you doing, bro, like, you're fucking up, right, I was, like, true, like, (laughs) I I honestly can't say anything, like, you called me out, like, that's super true, like, it's not a friendship I want to lose, and, like, I need to fix up, right, so, yeah, I think the social aspect is something that's, that's super, super important. Yeah, I mean, I I mentioned the study a couple times before, but I think it just bears repeating, because this is one of the most important lessons you can learn earlier on in your life, so you can nurture these relationships, but like the, the single largest study conducted on what contribute, what factors most important to contributing to your happiness later on in life has found that by and large, it is not the number of friends you have. It's not the number of possessions that you have. It's the quality of the friendships that you have later on in your life that really make or break how happy you are. And you never want to lose sight of that, right? Especially for a lot mm-hmm. of us, you know, being young, we're just focus on our career and just grinding right now. And that constant grind just means that there's an opportunity cost associated with it, which usually means you're Mm -hmm. neglecting friends or family or those relationships um, in some way. So don't Mm -hmm. lose sight of that because those people are in your life are what makes life worth living. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think we should, we also need to touch on the idea of 
chronic stress versus acute stress because mm-hmm. it's important to differentiate that because not all stress is bad right short-term stress yeah. is good for you it leads to growth if you're challenging yourself you're going to be stressed out at times right because sometimes you're going to be taking on a challenge that requires you to put in a lot more effort than you initially thought would be required for it that inherently mm-hmm. causes stress right it's, especially when you look at the research done on flow states by Chizing Kamahal. Chizing. Yeah, never know how to pronounce his name. Yeah. Yes, you know exactly um, what you're If you about. type yeah. in flow and like CZ, the rest of his name will pop up. I'm not going dis- to disgrace this man anymore. Uh, but if you look at the 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 research on flow states, right? Yeah, I'm not going to try it. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that state of flow is reached when there is this symmetry between your own aptitude and experience and the level of challenge that it brings. If there's too much challenge for the level of experience that you have, that's when anxiety starts to creep in. If there's not enough challenge for the amount of experience that you have, then that's where boredom starts to settle in, right? So I think that's where you need to understand that stress is important because it it's also a guiding light um, in terms of mm-hmm. how you're leading different initiatives in your life. The dark that side though is curve. Yeah. yeah, exactly. The the dark side is chronic stress though. Chronic stress is that nefarious thing that it beats you up. And when you're on the ground, it's kicking you while you're down. It's spitting on you, pushing you to the curb. It's just disrespecting you. You cannot let chronic stress take over your life because that's where all the negative psychosomatic um, health effects start to really come out. And it's hard to, I mean, that's where friends really uh, help with this, right? They can identify when you're being battled by that chronic stress because you become a shell of the person that you, you know, used to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been a shell many times in my life, and we'll get into those times and in, in that conversation later. But um, I think this, this is a great segue into like what is like the physiological nature of stress because it's a really useful way of understanding like chronic stress versus acute stress. So those of you who aren't familiar with like the neuroscience, like stress is primarily like triggered in the hypothalamus of the brain. So the hypothalamus of the brain is in the limbic system, like the core of the brain. You can think of it. Um, and the way that a lot of people have hypothesized, you know, the brain's development is that the core of the brain is sort of like more a reptilian, like core animal based instincts and, and functions. Those are the most important things to our brain. Um, you know, mood is regulated here. A ton of stuff like, um, for women, like your period, like for, uh, for men, like testosterone levels, like, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like all that stuff is like regulated in the brainstem. And then as you get further out, you have sort of have like the higher functions, right. Which is like planning, um, you know, being able to like predict things, uh, motors, motor skills, et cetera, et cetera, Executive et cetera, function, right? yeah. Executive functions, right? So that's really important to understand because like stress is like a base human instinct. Like we need to be stressed to do certain things. It's important that we are stressed. And there's sort of like the first layer of stress, which we mentioned before, acute stress, which is like based on like the adrenal glands. Um, and it's essentially when the hypothalamus releases you know, a specific hormone that I'm not going to get into all, like, there's like a huge pathway. Cascade, we learned this in anatomy, yeah. it's super annoying. Uh, but um, essentially you can think of it like acute stress, hypothalamus reacts to like, let's say it's uh, a guy with a knife or a tiger with, you know, fucking teeth, right? You see that you get immediately stressed. You get like a huge rush of energy. Um, you know, like your blood pressure increases, your heart rate increases, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and it gives you the energy you need to like kind of combat that, right? And then typically like there's a feedback loop where if you don't continue to encounter that, um, you're, you kick into like the second, second gear of stress, you can think of it where you're like regulating that and then pushing on the brakes, 
releasing the gas gradually, 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 right? Now, what happens when it's chronic stress, which, you know, is a lot more common now than it used to be, right? Because before there wasn't a tiger there all the time, right? But now your boss is on Slack all the time, right? So it's a very different scenario in terms of like acute versus chronic, right? We didn't actually have that many chronic stressors in the wild. Like, yeah, hunger, et cetera, et cetera. But like, right, like in today's world, it's much easier, especially with, you know, the internet and smartphones for you to constantly be stressed out about something, right? Um, and so when this happens, you know, cortisol, which is another uh, chemical that like contributes to this continues to rise and rise and doesn't really fall based on that feedback mechanism. Um, and essentially what happens is you get the yeah, elevated stress response constantly. And like, there are some really, really like landmark, like indicators of this that I think everyone recognizes high blood pressure, because, you know, literally as, as you need more energy in a stress response, your body increases your blood pressure. So like high blood pressure is like classic marker of like someone who's super stressed. Um, weight gain, because what, what ends up happening is your body sends signals that say, Hey, I need energy. So I'm going to hold on to all the energy I get and store it as fat instead of like, you know, burning it. And I'm going to use that like when I need it. Right. Uh, because that's like a characteristic of stress. Um, you also, you know, um, increase like pressure on your arteries, so, like increase the risk of heart disease, et cetera, et cetera. So there's like a lot of like very important physiological mechanisms of stress. Um, and that chronic versus acute distinction is, I think, like pretty endemic to it. And I've like personally experienced this as well. Like over the summer, I so I wear a Garmin smartwatch normally, and I can like trace how like my resting heart rate like increased as the summer went on, as I got more and more stressed. And it's like uncanny how like one to one the relationship is. Uh, but yeah, thought I'd jump in, do a little bit of the science and shit. And yeah, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah. I think like what, what it makes me think of is, you know, being able to pull lessons from analogous contexts, I guess, right. When it comes to dealing with stress. So a lesson that you can take from the ER, if you want to lo lower your stress levels, you need to be able to relentlessly triage and get better at decision-making. Um, because if you're not decisive enough with those things, if you're just, and I, I'm a flaky person too. So like this, I, I'm uh, I suffer from this as well. But if you're not decisive enough in uh, in uh, these critical junctions where you have to make a choice, those decisions don't just go away, right? Like you're forced to live mm -hmm. with the result in some way, and that contributes to elevated stress levels because your your the environment that you're living in is a lot more chaotic now. So you need to be better at decision making too, which is a skill that you need to hone if you want to get better at lowering your stress levels. Because if you're in the ER and you don't know how to react to things, you know things are so fast paced that you're not mm -hmm. only are are you jeopardizing the lives of your patients? You're also jeopardizing your own mental state, right? And as soon as you lose that mm -hmm. sense of equanimity, you're making worse and worse judgments as time goes on as well. Uh, 100%. Yeah. So how do you, how have you dealt with stress when you've encountered in your life? No, honestly, badly. <laughs> Long story short, badly. I, I yeah. think everyone can relate to that. Amen. Uh, I think, I do think I've gotten a lot better at it, like over time. Um, and in high school, it was particularly bad there's this like phase in high school where I was like popping caffeine pills to stay awake and like popping sleeping pills to sleep and just like grinding like all day. And it was really bad. Um, um, I think like a big part too is like sleep and memory are affected by stress. Um, and if you don't sleep, you also don't like form memories and consolidate them, but you should listen to our sleep episode if you're curious about this uh, and also read Matthew Walker's book. But I think the primary strategies I've had 
strangely enough, like not super mental, but more physical. Uh, and, and in particular, it's physical exercise has been like the number one, like best way for me to like try and beat stress. And I think it's twofold. Number one, I mean, it's literally good for you, right? Like exercising increases blood flow, like helps, you know, lower resting heart rate, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So like combat some of the effects of chronic stress. And then in addition to that, it helps you sleep because you're literally just more tired at the end of the day. So you have like deeper sleep, you have higher quality sleep, you know, you're more likely to go to bed because you're way more tired. Right. So that helps. And then the sleep, you know, kind of jumpstarts that positive feedback loop of being less stressed. But I think to, the twofold is that it gives you some time alone, like whether you're running, whether you're at the gym, personally, for me, I, I hate working out with people because uh, I look super ugly when I work out and like, <laughs> I just like need to crush weight. Right. And I don't want people to see me in that state. I'm like super aggressive and stuff too. Um, but what it does is it gives you that quick breathing, right? Like you're not interacting with anyone. You're not really looking at your phone because you need your hands to do the workout. If you're running, like maybe you're listening to a podcast, maybe you're listening to some music, but you're completely alone, really. Like even if you're with a ton of people, like you're in, you're in your zone, you're in your mind. And I think that's super, super important. Like exercise is like quasi meditative for me. Even when I can't make time to meditate, I can always make time to work out. Um, and I mean, I guess I can make time to meditate and I should make time to meditate, but I know it's hard for people as it is for me. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's been like my number one strategy on combating stress. What about you? Well, working out too, it is meditative in its own way, right? You're rather than your mind just flurrying and thinking about all these random things, you're just focused on getting those weights up in front of you. And that's a key exactly. thing. It's just to focus yeah. on something, be it your your physical environment, like just literally what's happening with your body, listening to the, the feedback that your body's giving you um, anything that forces you to narrow your train of thought, the breath is just useful, right? Like mindfulness meditation in that sense, the breath is just useful because it's something that's always there, which is kind of crazy, right? Like we literally just mm -hmm. don't even think about it. Um, but you actually and it's crazy that breath too, because like work, you know, workout, like you need to breathe a specific way to like push the yeah, yeah. diaphragm. Like a lot of the same breathing principles are like, in a workout as well so but yeah yeah no we should definitely do an episode on on like the breath actually because it's something we don't really think about again because it's just always there um it, first of all obviously it's like a critical function that keeps us alive <laughs> but um uh, it's just so interesting how our breath has evolved to assume more and more responsibility in terms of what our what we relate with some emotional responses even some logical responses uh, and how the breath regulates all of those things. And the craziest thing is that like, there's only a bundle of like, Oh, I'm going to get this number wrong. I think it was around like 200 or so neurons in like the back of their brain that mm -hmm. controls the breath when considering there's like a billion trillion connections in your brain. Right. Um, I, I'm, I'm not going to get into it, but like the, the one other cool fact on that is that there's only two pacemaker cells i guess in our body one is our heart which is located like literally where the heart is and the other is our breath load. yeah the other is our breath which is located further away from where the the organ it controls is our lungs right and because of that because it's embedded in our brain our brain has attributed more value to it so you know our breath helps control our mood and our emotional responses to things um which is why again like meditation has become such a powerful thing when you start to understand the power of the breath that's when you can really appreciate how much meditation or mindfulness can really do for you. Mm -hmm. um, some quick you ever OD'd on air? Sorry? You ever OD'd on air? Oh, yo. Okay. So crazy thing. There's yeah. the thing called holotropic breathing. Have you ever heard of it? 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what I was referring to. Yeah. Yes. Do a quick explanation. Yeah. So holotropic breathing is a uh, psychedelic breathing exercise. I've personally never tried it for myself, but allegedly if you go through this exercise of holotropic breathing, you will enter a psychedelic state of mind, which is kind of fucked up. It's but, pretty fucked up. Yeah, I mean, it's literally a drug. Air is a drug. It's it's insane, and not even like oh, like laughing ass whippets, whatever. Nos, no, like just regular air. Oxygen is a drug. Like yeah. that's why they have oxygen masks on the airplane, so you don't panic, right? Like, you know, there's so many like hallmarks of it. But I was gonna say like one of the best things to do, and I swear I'm not drinking, but like one of the best things to do is like just start like kind of low key hyperventilating, and you'll like be like ten times more awake. Like take like ten seconds. You're like in a room, you know, alone, like on a Zoom call, whatever, like turn your video off to meet yourself, breathe like super deep, like kind of quick for like 10, 20 seconds. And it's like drinking a cup of coffee. Like it's insane how much more awake <laughs> you are. Like your body rewards you for breathing deeply and breathing nicely. And like, it never happens anymore because we don't, we don't really need to. Like outside of my workout, I never break a breath, you know, like in my day-to-day -day mm -hmm. life. Actually not recently because I have like 30 stairs and I live in a Victorian ass apartment. So like every time I come home, I do. But other than that, like I never break like a sweat really in my life, right? Like I'm kind of just sitting down all day, like writing some code. Sometimes I, you know, put my standing desk up. It's not really a workout, but yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, it's crazy. Like how much breathing will like increase your alertness and your focus. Like yeah. That. I mean, like I'll try breathing, there, I haven't done it, but it's literally yeah. just vasodilation, right? You're getting more oxygen into your bloodstream. You're getting more oxygen, oxygenated blood than into your brain as well. So I mean, that's exactly. literally the juice your brain needs to, to function. Um, yeah, the, which is to say, like, there's a lot of interesting things that the breath really does. Um, so we just definitely should. I was listening to podcast ups on this like last year sometime. I wish I could remember yeah. where it was from. It might have been Hidden Brain. Um, I could okay. be wrong, but yeah. Anyways, so yeah, I'm. I mean, like, similar to you, I'm also terrible with dealing with stress. Um, I this is gonna sound really weird, but one of the things that I actually like doing is just reveling in it like just being in that stress and like acknowledging that, yo, I'm, I'm pretty fucking stressed out right now. But why I enjoy doing that is because those moments of stress usually force me to kind of just reflect on my life, you know, like where I'm mm. feeling overwhelmed with everything. So I have to like, just take a step back. I'm like, why the fuck am I doing this? Why am I in this state right now? Like, am I even yeah. going through life in the way that I want to, am I living life the way that I want to? And it forces yeah. me to ask myself these questions, right? It's this forced reflection. So I value it in that, but in those moments when I feel really overwhelmed, what I've been doing more and more now is literally just taking a deep breath, right? And it forces me to stop what I'm doing. It disrupts my train of thought, literally just like two or three deep breaths, you know, breathe in three seconds, hold it, let it out for a couple of seconds. And that's allowed me to regain some sense of equanimity. Um, for me, I also really love music like music is one of those things that's like very near and dear to my heart and there are a couple mm -hmm. of like go-to pieces of music when i'm like really stressed and like feeling down i just throw it on and it just reminds me like yo things are going to be okay you know life is going to be okay what what are what are the go-to pieces of music um right. we'll so, description <laughs> yeah we'll link them in the description so a couple of pieces i absolutely love um one is Gymnopédie number one by Eric Satie, 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 I don't know how to pronounce his name. Um, another is Arwarian Dance by Nujabes. If anybody knows Nujabes, Yo, OG, yeah. this guy's a god. Oh my god, so Rest good. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
that's two. A third is Claire de Lune, um, or Arabesque number one. Um, those are bangers. Uh, but yeah, like bangers. I, I generally, pre- generally prefer instrumental music when I'm in those states, just because I get to paint a story with my own mind, right? Like the, the music is kind of like a backdrop for the adventure that's going on in my head. Um, mm. And I like to be able to just enjoy that, right? Like I get to be teleported into this different space. So that allows me a little vacation from my own head, I guess. Uh, and then I get to replenish real quick and then jump back in. Um, chronic stress is the hard part. I think we've all experienced chronic stress at some point in our lives. Um, and for that, a change in environment really helps me. Like I tried going on walks as much as possible when the weather's nice because of that. The fresh air, being around nature, like go hug a tree if it helps you. Like that, honestly, all of that Big just helps me yeah. just refocus myself. And uh, I think that's a good question to ask yourself too. Like when was the last time you just went for a walk and just stepped outside, right? Especially during virtual yeah. life right now, everybody's been holed up in their rooms doing Zoom all day. That sucks. Mm-hmm. It sucks. Also like, as I was saying about one-on-one relationships, one-on-one relationship with how happy I am and how many walks I've done that week, like mm. a thousand percent. Like if I've gone on like, three, four walks that week, I'm markedly happier than if I had gone on a walk that week. So yeah, I literally went like yesterday and like, was it, no, it wasn't yesterday. It was the day before yesterday. Time is hard. Um, it was like a fucking two hour walk, like in San Francisco uh, and just like explored a ton in like new neighborhoods that I've never been to and stuff like that. And yeah, walking super, super good way to do that. Um, and yeah, one thing I wanted to touch again on was your point about music um, because humans have like a very intimate and long history of relationship with music a lot of people like don't realize this like people think music's a pretty modern thing like yeah there's Bach he's like the 1700s or whatever he's vegan like before that music didn't exist but music is actually something that's like pretty like deep deeply buried in human society in our brain and we've like kind of evolved to coexist with music and it's it's pretty amazing like what relationship like different melodies can have with your state of consciousness and with your mood too right like I mean, everyone knows that you play angry music, you get more angry, you play happy music, you get a little happier, you play sad music and sadness slaps like 10 times harder, right? <laughs> but <laughs> I'm guilty of that, you know, sometimes sure, sure. hitting it a little deep with the sad music. But um, I think it's such a like good tool to do with when you're stressed. Like I have this like one playlist called Simply Studying where like I put it on every time I'm stressed and like I kind of like, I kind of finesse this playlist because like i I made this playlist to study to something that I knew I would slap, right? And I was like, I'm going to study super hard. I know I got this. Let me put, put this playlist on. And now my brain associates it with that feeling, like that feeling of like complete control. Like I have a lot of work to do, but I know I'm going to slap this and this playlist is going to get me there. And now like every time I work on something, even if like I don't have that feeling, I put that playlist on and like kind of triggers me to get into that mindset. Uh, I will link this in the description too because I think it's a banger playlist. I got like a few comments on it. But um, yeah, I think... Yeah, just so many tools you can use to kind of trigger that mechanism in yourself. And music's just one of them. Absolutely, yeah. And it, it's super interesting that the psycho- psychology behind it, like you mentioned, like literally, mm-hmm. like music predates to when we were hunter-gatherers. We started, the first instrument was a percussive instrument. We were just banging rocks against each other and shit, you know, and <laughs> everyone was vibing to that. Um, and it, we've come a long way. Have you uh, have you ever experienced that feeling of getting goosebumps when you listen to a piece of music? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So the crazy part is that that means your brain is wired differently because not everybody has that experience. Wait, really? I've yeah, never not everybody goes through that. What? What's the? So like, is there like a distinction on like who can and who can't, or is it just like random? 
it's just, yeah i'm not sure if there's like a genetic underpinning to it or just some super random thing i'm sure there's some genetic underpinning to it um but yeah it's it's kind of sad not everybody can go through that experience you know like yeah that's one of my favorite experiences in life like mm-hmm. like when you're listening to something real good and you get goosebumps and you just like feel the music like fully yeah. i don't know it's, it's amazing yeah i love that feeling and yeah, yeah like, especially definitely. like if if anyone's done psychedelics or even like smoke when you grow if you listen to music in those states it is transcendental like it's not just mm. you're listening to music you're living the music the music is flowing yeah. through your body and mm. it's a, this other world experience oh my god mm-hmm. and and it lasts too like i think not only did my music taste become more diverse but the way i was able to appreciate music evolved once i did more psychedelics right like the way I can appreciate different notes, tones, like even the things I notice in the same song, like become drastically different once I'm able to, um, like once I've listened to that song on, you know, acid shrooms, whatever psychedelic song instrument here. Um, and I think it's, it's pretty amazing. Like there are like literal like ways of listening to music and like ways of like interpreting melody that you wouldn't get unless you trained for years as a musician mm-hmm. or you could do a tab acid you know what i mean it's, it's pretty <laughs> insane uh and i'm not classically trained as a musician like i didn't you know didn't have like that exposure growing up as a kid uh but you know i, I would i would like to say that I, I have the ability to appreciate music now thanks to that and like you know a lot of other things but yeah it's yeah. pretty cool no i mean i think that's a beautiful thing about just art as a whole right like music as an art form you don't need mm-hmm. to obviously go through this either. You don't have to put in that apprenticeship, get those years of classical training or have to do these psychedelics in order to fully appreciate it. Right. I think it's one of those mm-hmm. things where, again, it pays to pay attention to how you're feeling as you're going through the experience of listening or engaging with these things. Cause for a lot mm-hmm. of people, like, you know, they just put music on in the background. It's not the primary activity or the primary focus when they're doing it. And I mean, like, like have you had that experience you're just literally laying in bed just vibing out the tunes like oh, late at night I, I try and do that nightly yeah I just it's like a, a great way for me to de-stress as well yeah it's just such a special moment it feels like you have the universe to yourself and how many moments do you can you really say that yeah it's 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 insane like tying this conversation back to stress i'm like yeah i think one thing I'd like to leave everyone with is like find that like little moment of your day where you can just like vibe out to something like whether it's music, whether it's exercise, whether it's like a good cup of coffee, like whatever it is, like find that moment and just vibe out to something. And like that helps your stress like 10 million times over because it you're forcing that chronic stress response, like shut down for, you know, whatever time it is, maybe imagine we'll still pin you on Slack like five minutes later, but at least for that, like three or four minutes while you're drinking that cup of coffee, we're listening to that song. Like, you have completely disconnected and shut it off. And like, there's no way for you to not live in the moment. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like a really, really important part of it too. Like, you know, going back to the quote we discussed, like there's, there's a big distinction between like thinking your stress and not thinking your stress. Right. And like, once you can like change your mindset towards like interpreting that stress as a tool rather than as like an active harm in your life, I think it makes a huge difference. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not just social media, you know, even Jira is bad for your mental health. Stop looking at that. Jira is so bad for your mental health. <laughs> Did you see that tweet? Yeah. 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 <laughs> that tweet was doing the round. Yeah. Jira, Jira is extremely bad for my mental health. But unfortunately, it's not something I can circumvent as a software engineer. So 
yeah. yeah, it's it's just something that's there. But you know, it, that's why it's important evil. to delineate those boundaries between work and in your life. Um, mm-hmm. There's this other quote by Jim Rohn. Oh, let me just pull it up real quick because um, I think that it it sheds more light on the disrupting your thought process piece. Mm-hmm. While you're pulling it up, I have a Marcus Aurelius quote. Oh um, no, wait, I, I think it's pretty good too. I, I was oh. gonna use that one after. Oh, okay. Okay. I get, I'll, I'll do it first and keep looking for a quote if you haven't found it. But it's, uh, if you are distressed by anything external, the pain is not due to the thing itself, but to your own estimate of it. And this, you have the power to revoke at any moment. Uh, yeah. Like everything only has as much power as you give it over you, right? Like your boss. Okay. Well, maybe your boss has power over you because you pay rent, but at the same time, like you're giving him the ability or her the ability to make you stress right and once you stop giving somebody that ability like life changes completely yeah i've given a lot of people the ability to stress me out and i've had to revoke that you know time to time for the weeds you know but (laughs) okay interestingly enough that wasn't the marcus aurelius quote i was thinking of um the one i had was like ties into memento mori um it was i'm pretty sure it was marcus aurelius that said this but it was um you can leave life right now let that determine what you do say and think you know, like mm-hmm. there's like the, the, was it like five fives or seven, seven rules? Like, will this matter like five minutes, five days, yeah, yeah, five yeah. Weeks now, whatever. I mean, like kick that up a notch, right? If you were to die right now, would this thing matter? And like 99% of your problems will, will be insignificant no, in the face yeah. of death, right? Like it's a straight yeah. no. Um, and I think that's an important thing to remember, right? Again, like touching on that near death experience piece that we kind of mentioned earlier on in the conversation, don't wait until you have that brush with death in order to figure out what, how you want to live your life. Mm-hmm. Um, the, and the, yeah, the Jim Rohn quote that I was looking for is don't wish it was easier. Wish you were better. Don't wish for less problems. Wish for more skills. Don't wish for less challenge. Wish for more wisdom. Right. And I think that ties back into disrupting that thought process. The, the, the initial way of framing it, you're framing it as if you were a victim, you're forced to go through these things, right? Life is just treating you miserably. And you're just a victim of that process. But the latter way of thinking about it is you get to regain this sense of ownership over life, you get to regain the sense of control over your life, like we were mentioning with Viktor Frankl. And Mm -hmm. I think that's what it's so important, right? Unhappiness arises when there's an asymmetry between your expectations and your reality. And oftentimes that asymmetry arises because you are not being diligent and you're not being intentional about the things that you're doing in your life. But Mm -hmm. when you cultivate that sense of discipline in order to build those skills and you build that mindset that, okay, this shit, this situation is kind of shitty right now. What am I going to do about it? Rather than this situation is shitty right now. Let me go just, let me just go ignore all my worries for a little while. Let me go throw on a Netflix show or whatever. Mm -hmm you have to regain that sense of ownership over your life, that, that radical accountability, right? And it ties into what Jocko Willink said, discipline equals freedom. As mm-hmm. counterintuitive as that sounds, a lot of people look at discipline as, or a lot of people look at disciplined people as, you know, boring or like two no's in the books or by the book, like they're a green nose rule abiding citizen, whatever that's boring. Mm-hmm. But when you think about it, right? more undisciplined people are unhappy than disciplined people. And the reason for that is that 
if you're not disciplined and intentional about your life, then somebody else is going to be architecting your life for you, right? You're going to be abiding by those objective measures of success that people have implemented on you. And you haven't thought about what success means for yourself. And there's an opportunity cost with that. If you're disciplined, then you can work towards the idea of success that you built for you, built for you yourself. And if you've ever asked a successful person what the best version of themselves look like, looks like, they will have an answer for you because they've thought about that. They know mm-hmm. what version of themselves they're working towards. It's not this abstract thing that they're, you know, just it's in the back of their head they're working towards in life. They have a vision board for themselves. They've jotted down characteristics that they want to improve. They've jotted down things they want to learn, skill sets they want to build, and they're working towards that. And that mm-hmm. person will be happier at the end of the day for it because they're falling in love with themselves more and more every day and not in like a narcissistic, egoistic way. Like it's this Mm -hmm. genuine love and appreciation that you have for yourself and for your life. And when you have that sense of confidence, you can project that out into the universe. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like when you, when you reach that point, you can let go of the ego because you are so confident and happy with where you're at. You just want other people to experience that. Like that is a crazy high, like fuck drugs. Right. Becoming yeah. the best version of yourself, that's a high that few Such people get to We're all chasing that high. All of us are chasing it, man. But the yeah. difference is like, are you chasing it blindly or are you actually building the, the foundational building blocks to actually build that mm-hmm. ultimate figure of yourself? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a disciplined schedule is the cage you choose and an empty schedule is the cage other people choose for you, right? Mm-hmm. They get to time block you. They get to say, hey, what's your calendar saying? I know you're freaked out. <laughs> oh my God, dude, I kept my calendar like open and I forgot I forgot to update like the availability because it's been like three months since I've used my calendar. And I got like hella meeting requests at like 2 p.m. Like, no, that's not your time. Like you can't just schedule a meeting 2 p.m. on a Wednesday with me. But anyways, um, tangents aside, yeah. Like a lot of people think of discipline and going back to your point as like, like a cage but really it's like you're choosing what you want to do with your time and you're doing that in a sound state of mind right you're saying hey this is who i want to become and i'm fully confident with that and i know the steps i need to get to that and this is how i want to do it rather than just like going day to day and like going with the flow and like being uh upon in somebody else's whimsical desires right and so mm-hmm. i think that's a really important distinction to make um yeah i'm glad we ended off with that because i think that's a really a really like succinct way to like tie in the conversation with stress like the physiological response the community best method and then you know going back to yourself and like at the end of the day you have the most power over your own perception of the stress mm-hmm. absolutely uh i mm-hmm. i mean it's great to be behind the mic with you again like it's yeah. I mean, like the other piece of that if you want to help combat stress the other really powerful tool is just gratitude bro just like shout it out into the universe what the hell are you grateful for today Dude, right. I'm grateful for talking to you, bro. It's been a long time. Absolutely. I've not been talking recently, but I'm, I'm very glad we are right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just reminds me again, you know, how much the value of conversation with good friends are. Yes, sir. Yeah, cool. So I think we should end it on that note. Go uh, tell a friend you love them today. Make sure you nurture those relationships. I love you, bro. <laughs> I love you too, brother. All right. All right. Ciao. If you liked the episode, follow us on Spotify and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Our website was built by Face Solutions, logo designed by Charmeni, and music by Wonderly Music. Thank you for listening. Think you got it? Nah, we're on the next iteration.